it was a great run. You ask me. It was a great run, you know, to, uh, to go 15-0 and have one of the best football teams ever to play. Not every person gets a chance to see that. And it's, let me say, it was because of the players and because of the assistant coaches we had. But, you know, the last couple of years are not the, uh, the standard of LSU, but I have no regrets. I know I went to work as hard as I could every day, tried as, as hard as I could every day, and that's all you can ask. All right, welcome back to another edition of Hey Fighting Podcast. As always, Cody Worsham, joined by Jacob Hester over here at Cards and Culture. Come in, check them out. They're open uh, Wednesday through Sunday till 7 p.m. over here in Perkins Row. Check them out online as well at cardsandculture.com. Uh, obviously, a lot of stuff to talk about on today's show, Hester. Yep. We will talk about LSU Florida in further depth and LSU Ole Miss uh, to preview that in the second segment and later in the show. You're going to catch up with LSU running back Ty Davis Price, who played pretty well on Saturday. He did some things well, and uh, you're going to you're going to talk about the things that he did well and the improvements that LSU's had in the running game, which we'll we'll talk about as well. But before that, obviously, the elephant in the room is that LSU has a change coming at the head coaching position with Ed Orgeron, uh, finishing out the 2021 season and finishing out his LSU career at the same time. Uh, that news came out Sunday. Coach Owen Scott Woodward had a press conference on Sunday. Uh, a joint press conference, uh, really a, a something I, I don't think I've ever seen in college football before where a coach midseason has been told that this is their last season, but then finish out the season and then the coach and the AD come out together. Um, so I'm curious what your reaction was to the news and, and sort of not just the news that Coach O um, was done at LSU, but the way that it's sort of going to finish out the season. Yeah, so like when the news is starting to break and you and I were talking before we started the podcast, you know, here in the capital city, sometimes once things happen, uh, those rumors start to fly. And around Thursday night, you start to hear some rumblings of what possibly could happen or whatever. And then we find out Sunday that it indeed did happen. And, I, you know, we know the expectations of the LSU job, and one of the things, and I've said it many times on many platforms, that I love about Coach O is he know, he doesn't hide from those expectations. Like, he embraced what the LSU job meant, and he said it numerous times, like, I grew up here, I, I know what it is, and, you know, right now we're not what that expectation should be, and... You know, so so they decided to make the move, and I think everybody can agree. Like, you thank Coach O for what he did, taking over in the interim and saving that season and then building to a national championship. And for whatever reason, we could sit here and have that discussion. You know, that has tilled off a little bit. And so now you're in a situation where, like you said, like normally you would have an interim head coach come and take over, and the coach that is told he's not coming back would – just go away. Sure. But I think it's the love and the passion that Coach O has for this LSU program that he wants to finish what he started, which that just doesn't happen anywhere else. I yeah. don't know if there's – you know, maybe there's two or three other places or across the country where the guy that was told that would actually stay around, coach, still recruit to LSU. And I think, you know, one of the things – from the press conference on Sunday that I took was I'm still going to uh, sell LSU. I'm still going to try to get recruits here because I love this place. I know what this place can be. And I really think it's the best case scenario for everybody involved. Coach O gets to finish, you know, what he started here in his tenure as the LSU coach. And also the team still has stability of the fact that the coaching staff stays the same and they don't have to, you know, hear a new voice, lead their team meetings and things like that. So it, it's very interesting. It's unique. I, I don't know if I've ever – 
heard of a situation like this yeah. before, like in, in any, I'm sure, you know, we could go back and, and it's happened before, but I don't remember certainly it happening. Yeah. I, I don't have a, a prior to compare this to, I'll, I'll say this and I'm, I'm a little bit on the inside here. So I want to obviously acknowledge my bias and I think everyone understands that, but to me, what, what, th- what makes this unique, you know, is, is, is both coach O and his unique connection to Louisiana to LSU, his love for this place. I, I, I don't think this works this way to finish out the season like this with any other head coach. I just I don't see a circumstance where there's that connection between the coach, the program, the state. I think it's also a credit to Scott Woodward and the administration and their ability to um, to, to be on the same page with Coach O. This, this is not something that an athletic director who had distance between himself and the program could do. It's something that can only happen when you have a constant – consistent dialogue between your AD and your football coach. And that's what, that's what Scott Woodward and Edwards run have. They've, it's been that way since, since Scott first got here, they talk every week. And and so it it wasn't like this came out of the blue. This has been a constant conversation. This has been um, something that's been talked about on a weekly basis since before the 2019 season. Hey, this is where the program is. This is where we need to get. And it's been a constant conversation. So it was a conversation they had when things were great. And it's one they've had when things haven't been great. So I think it's a credit to Scott and, and the administration, their ability to be on the same page constantly, communicate clearly, communicate expectations clearly, do it in a way that's professional uh, and, and not um, and to have the personal relationship, but to be able to separate that from the professional need to do what needs to be done. So that's that's the first point I'll make. The, the second point I'll make on it is, you know, I, I want to kind of zoom back a little bit. When Coach O was hired, I was working at Tiger Ag. I wasn't at LSU. And we all remember those days. They were yeah. uh, highly contested days between the folks who wanted Coach A, Coach B, or Coach O. That that was not planned, by the way. That just <laughs> happened. Um, and I remember at the time, you know, being being somewhat intrigued by a Tom Herman or being somewhat intrigued by, you know, a Jimbo Fisher or whoever would have been that coach at that time. But really thinking that, taking the chance on Coach O was going to be worth it. And, I mean, you can go back and look. I've This is probably on the internet somewhere. But I thought you had to have – you had to try something different. You had to mm-hmm. – and I thought the Coach O model of hiring the best assistants and being an excellent recruiter and motivator was a completely different model. What I didn't want to see at that time, and this was, again, before I was at LSU, was doing what everyone else has done and trying to hire a Saban assistant or – the young up and coming offensive guru or whatever that model was at that time that everyone was trying because everyone was trying it and it wasn't working. And I think you need to try something specific to LSU and what LSU needed. And I, and I was, I I thought that model of, Oh, a a head coach can really recruit that, you know, is going to be loyal, hire great assistants. I think that could work. And guess what? It worked. It worked. They won 2019 national championship on that model. Now we see now the downside of that model is that you have to continually hit home runs with every hire that you make, right. which is really, really hard to do. It's probably the hardest thing to do in all of college sports is to, is to hire, um, to hire the, the perfect assistant for the perfect personnel and match all those things up. Right. Every other sport, basketball, baseball, softball, volleyball, doesn't matter. There are so many fewer variables. Football, because you have 85 scholarship players, because you have a staff of 10 assistant coaches and analysts. And there's so many personalities and people to manage. 
there's so many variables. You really want your constants to be consistent and constant. And that just wasn't the case for LSU. The, the variables were always shifting with new coordinators moving out. And I, I've said this before in other spaces. I'll say it here. Winning creates as many problems as it solves, right? And so when you win the 2019 National Championship, it solves a million problems. It's great. Everyone's excited. We're all celebrating. We'll never forget it. I'll be forever grateful for that season, the experiences that I had personally, the things I got to see. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I was fortunate enough to win one, but I don't know if I had any better experiences than 2019 just covering the team. Yeah, it was incredible. The flip side is that when you win, you get a lot of problems on your plate now, and those Problems include guys going to the NFL and coordinators getting uh, promotions at other places, head coaching jobs or NFL jobs. And so then you have to be able to solve those problems. And actually, the the success of 2019 created so many problems. Then you factor in a pandemic. Then you factor in social change and, and everything that LSU has gone through in the last couple of years. And it, it, and it was almost like the times just didn't fit that model anymore, that you needed um, that, you needed that constant um, amidst – as all the variables that are already there continue to increase. So that's, that's, that's sort of my big picture view on it. And then I just, I, I sort of am intrigued by, Oh, starting as an interim at LSU and then sort of finishing as an interim. Yeah. Um, his first game in this sort of, I don't know what you would call an interim. That's on the way out. Um, what do they call it with presidents? Isn't there a term for presidents on their way out when they're yeah. like, this is not a math question. I don't have the answer. Okay, for sorry. That's like a social studies question. We need a social studies teacher. But basically, when 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 you're on your way out of office, if you will, um, the first game's against Ole Miss, which obviously Coach O has some history there. He's coaching against Lane Kiffin. There's obviously some relationship there. There's some history there. Um, there's just a lot of intriguing storylines with that, but there's almost a, a poetic uh, similarity, a the sort of overlap between how things started for him and hopefully how things will end for him. And I hope as I make my last point on this rant, hand it off to you. I hope that the same energy that coach O was able to build in the interim jobs at USC and then LSU that he turned to a head coaching job, he can build that again and build that synergy and build that, that those positive vibes since we're here at cards and culture and we got positive vibes and gear all around us. I hope that the team can rally around that and finish strong. They did it against Florida on Saturday before the news came out and I'm hoping that they can do it and give him the send-off that he deserves and the fan base can unite. I talk all the time about this being a place where we unite, right? We want, right. We want, I want LSU football to be a thing that brings, brings people together. And hopefully now that this is done, the rest of the season can be a unitive experience. And we can thank Coach O for the time that he's and, – and the effort that he's given for LSU football and the great things he's accomplished and come together and enjoy one last ride. Yeah, I don't think there's actually any question that you can do that. This is a situation where you're still, you know, you're still playing at, at a high level if you look at the last game. It's not a situation where you're one in five and everything's just bad and everybody's pointing all these fingers. I mean, look, it is what it is, and we know how we got to this point, and, and a change is made. But I think the fact, and going back to it, that you have this this constant voice that's the same, and you know you have the talent to go win all these games – left on your schedule and you can still compete. I, I don't think there's going to be this huge drop-off. Look, the players knew what, what the deal was on Saturday. I think I think we'd be foolish to think that they didn't have a pretty good idea of what was going on, right? But they went out there and they played their game. They played inspired. They played mean, tough, nasty, physical, all those things. And I think you're, you're going to get that for the rest of the season. And I think it is important, like, what you do the rest of this way because you have, you know, 
you have an opportunity like it can go a couple of ways like you can fold the tents in and go home and you can have no momentum heading into what next season looks like or you can create some positive momentum you can ro- roll off of some victories go to a bowl game get a bowl victory and then that's a different offseason feeling than if you just you know finish this season and don't win another game so yep. there's some things that can definitely still be had and you know, credit everyone involved for for keeping everything the same. And look, it, let's call it like it is. It takes a um, it takes a, a very certain person to do what Coach O is doing, right? Coach O could have had the attitude like, "Look, man, what? I want a Fiesta Bowl and a national championship, and now I'm on my way out. I'm not sticking around. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna collect my buyout, and I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna do whatever I want to do." But because he started this with this team and what this school means to him, what the state means to him, for him to say, no, I'll, I'll coach the rest of this year, I mean, you got to give him a lot of credit. And it stabilizes so many things. And so I don't think by any means that this LSU team is just not going to play hard or not play inspired football. They might even play a, a better brand of football because there's, there's kind of a, a weight lifted off, yep. I think, a lot of people. That's the goal, right, is to make it all about football moving forward. Yeah. And I mean, that, look, we talked to Coach O this morning, and out of respect for him and, and just kind of how we wanted to dic- uh, dictate what was, was said in the interview, like we didn't ask him about the job, you know, part of it. Like we didn't ask him about, you know, getting let go. We didn't ask him about how, how's he going to do it. Like we talked about the Florida game and we previewed the Ole Miss game because I think there's a lot of people that want to – talk about football yeah. and kind of move forward now. I mean, that's why we had the press conference Sunday was for people right. to ask those questions and yes. people asked those questions. And they had their opportunity to do that. And, you know, I would just encourage people to, to move on to football. Like there's a lot of football left to play, which we're going to do on the podcast here in a second. Um, but look, I, I have a lot of, um, again, admitting my biases. I was there Sunday doing a lot of work behind the scenes on some of this stuff. And I'm not going to share most of those stories, but I will share a couple. One is that I was over at football as, you know, a lot of the the work was being done to prepare for, for Sunday's press conference. Coach O was watching film on Ole Miss. Like, that's that's where his focus was. I'm, I'm watching film on Ole Miss. I'm getting ready for Matt Corral, and I'm getting ready for Lane Kiffin's offense and and looking back at the film that we had from Florida, what we did well, what we got to do better. He, he was all business. And then right before he went into the press conference, him and Scott are sitting there talking, and they're talking about Ole Miss. They're talking about – how well Ty Davis Price played against uh, against Florida, and they're talking about um, all the things that that they're having football conversations. So their 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 focus is on football, and, and I, w- I would like to keep our focus for the most part on football. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on, um, and look, you're seeing it in the media right now. People are are putting these narratives together about personal life and all field stuff. But what, what did I say? was it last week or, or two weeks ago? Football's math. Like football's yeah. facts. Football is fact and fiction. It, it, it ain't subjective. Um, we, we can put our own narratives around it. People in the building put their narratives around it. Everyone can frame the story how they want to, but results are results. And, and that's what Coach O fundamentally understands. That's what Scott Woodward fundamentally understands. That's what we understand. Like yeah. what's the record since the national championship? Nine and eight. Yeah. I mean, this, that's, that's not LSU standard of performance and coach O knows that. And so I think that's why he's able to, to, to process this and finish the season the way that he's going to. Um, but, but I do expect LSU to play well the rest of the season, especially after what we saw um, uh, from the Tigers against Florida, um, which, which looked like a new football team in, in a number of ways. So let's do this. Let's, let's take a break. Unless you have something else you want to say on, no. on that front. No, and I can also just just say, 
you know, I, I hope that people just understand like what, what coach also did for former players. Like when he took this over, that's something that, that I wanted to get that message out there. Like he was always welcoming to us. Like there was never a practice we couldn't come to, never a training camp that we couldn't come to and always allowed us to be in the building. That's not always been the case at LSU. Yeah. So I, we like, I know we've talked about that on, on Sunday, like group text with former players and stuff. And that's always something he made it a priority to do. And that's something that, you know, next time I see him in person, definitely want to tell him that because like things like that go a long way. It's just kind of adding to what we talked about with him and the love he has for the program. Yeah, it it's it's a credit to him, and I, that's what I hope these next six weeks can be, is a credit to him, the send-off that he deserves, yeah. um, and, and that just people can handle this like adults. Like, yeah. what happens, Hester, what happens if you go to work tomorrow and you don't do your job effectively? Like, if, if you don't do the job up to the standard that you know you have to do it to, you understand that there's going to be consequences I've for that. I've been fired twice. Because, really? Because of that. <laughs> the Chargers and the Broncos both told me, hey, we, we liked what you did in the past, but moving forward, we're going to move in a different direction. I've been fired twice. Like I know, and, and I knew what it was. Like I knew what they were looking for, and that's not something I could have given them. It, it, it's happened to me in a much less lesser context, but in college, I was at a place, and they said, look, you're not good enough to play the role that you want to play, mm-hmm. but we'd like to keep you here in a different role. And I said, no, I want to go somewhere and have that different role elsewhere. Like, and, and you – you part ways and you go on with your life and, and you enjoy the experiences you had, you move on, you get better from them. So hopefully that's what everyone does here. And, uh, and hopefully we can give coach O and, and especially we've, all our focus has been on coach O the players, like the players deserve to finish out the season um, with more performances like the head against Florida. So let's do this. Let's take a break and then let's turn our attention solely to the players and solely to football where we want it to be. We'll break down LSU's win over Florida, which was a lot of fun. And I'm still enjoying the, the afterglow of that uh three in a row four out of five seven of nine <laughs> nine of 12 and 13 of 20 is that have you been like chanting that in like in your sleep or as you're falling asleep at night just saying those numbers and bringing a smile to your face yeah you know like some people whistle when they walk i just repeat those <laughs> as i walk <laughs> so we'll uh we'll get back to that mantra here in a second and then we'll also look at uh lsu and old miss and preview that a little bit and then at the very end of the show we'll bring on ty davis price and let him break down his historic performance against florida so stay with us we'll be right back after this break All right, we're back. Uh, let's talk football, and let's let's keep our focus there for the next six weeks. And look, I know there's going to be coaching search and all this kind of conversation going on. We are always going to try to keep things as football-focused here as possible. Um, when, when necessary, we'll delve into those other topics like we did in the first segment there. But I want to talk football because there's some really interesting things happening with LSU. Like, they're a brand-new team, basically. The team that I saw Saturday, I would have never thought in a million years that we would see that football team Against this anybody. season. Like, if you would have told me, let's see, let me retrace my steps here a little bit. After the Auburn game, okay, after the Auburn game, that LSU was going to beat Florida in two weeks behind a turnover-forcing, ball-hawking defense and a dominant running game, I'd have... I had to question your sanity. I might have called the authorities to, to come yeah. pick you up and put you in a padded room because have you not seen LSU play? Their defense creates no turnovers. Their offense literally gets no push in the running game. Yeah. Where are you getting this idea from? And then here we are two, three weeks ago later, yeah. and that's the team that LSU has. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I want to just say this. That's a credit to the, to the coaching staff and the players for identifying issues and correcting them to make that kind of – transformation midseason I have no priors or precedent 
to, to compare <laughs> like, that to. I've never like seen that. a team do that before. Now, if I would have said, hey, LSU's going to score 49 points against Florida and Max Johnson's going to throw one pass in the fourth quarter. Like, even, like, when you break it down like that, because everything they had done to that point had to come through the air. And the only pass that I think Max threw in, correct me if I'm wrong, was the fourth and one. Yep, that's the only one he threw in the fourth quarter. And in that one, I think everybody in the building thought it was going to be a run. Everybody. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it got me. Yep. So, yeah, to, to, to completely be able to change that narrative like that. And I saw Jake Peets after the game, and he went and gave Brad Davis a giant, like, yeah, pat on the back. He's like, this is because of the work you've put in. So let's start there because I did go watch the film because it was a pleasant oh, experience you, this time. You only watch I'm it when, do, it's, look, when it's a win. I, uh, I am okay. a front runner when it comes to film. <laughs> if LSU plays well, I will rewatch it. If not, I have no interest. I'm like the complete opposite. When they when they don't <laughs> play well, I rewatch every play like six times. When they play well, I'm like, ah, twice is enough. I have I have too many other things in my life that look I I want to be happy I want to be a happy person that's sure. my my primary focus so if LSU makes me happy I'm gonna spend more time with them if they don't then I might do something different on a Sunday but I watched every basically the way that I watched film is I watched every run play I pulled up every run play and watched it and it was interesting to watch LSU discover midway through the game midway through the first quarter early in the second quarter that they were gonna every time they ran counter they were gonna they were going to dominate. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the one of the first times they ran counter and they pulled the guard and, and the tackle was the first Ty Davis-Price touchdown run on the, it would, yeah. would have been in the south end zone. Right. So yeah. I guess that would have been the, that would have been the first, at the end of the first quarter. Yeah. Um, sorry, it's all mixed up in my head because I didn't watch it sequentially. I just watched it. Again, I clipped every run play and watched those. But Mashburn stemmed out and then stepped in and, and kind of got the outside linebacker leaning, and they got to the second level and laid a block. Ed Ingram came around and just pulverized somebody. Yes, and TDP had, it was, I think someone on Twitter said, choose your own adventure. Like, he had every <laughs> hole in the world to run through. And so, eventually, LSU discovered it. But what I saw, Hester, and since he mentioned Brad Davis, I saw an offensive line that looked in sync, that looked like they were playing to their strengths, their technique looked better. Yeah. Their their steps looked better. Their timing looked everything looked better. So I want to spend a lot of time today crediting the coaching staff, and I think we have to start with Brad Davis and what he's done with that offensive line. So even their zone schemes. So we've had this conversation so many times. Their counter schemes, their gap schemes are better than their zone schemes. But even their their zone blocking schemes look so much cleaner than they have. They ran inside zone. They had success running in zone. They yeah. ran it 19 times. It's actually the run that they had the most in the contest for 120 yards, 6.3 yards per carry. And that's not even like close to what inside zone was before. Inside zone was a run that they ran, but they were so unsuccessful successful mm -hmm. in it they were highly successful they only had um one run that was stuff so stuff right we've talked about that plenty of times that's the percentage of runs they go for no gain or a loss so in 19 attempts only one they got stuffed and they had some real push and so like everything every part of it is becoming where they have this chemistry and the offensive line, and I'm going to throw Jack Mashburn to be an extension of the offensive line. Jack Smashburn. He has – I think you can keep it at – me and T-Bob had this conversation. Do we do we add the smash or – I kind of like mash as well. Like mash kind of plays yeah, it already. I think you're right. right? Let's keep it. Let's keep it. Yeah. I Just mean, Mashburn. And he has been a difference maker. 
And it's not okay. And and difference maker can go two different ways. It can be in he's a difference maker because he's better than what they previously had at the position, or it can just be no, he's a difference maker because he's out there playing at a very high level. Yep. And it's because he's playing at a high level. He's not just better than what was before. He's playing at a different level. And they've run counter with him as a puller this game they ran a different version of counter where they had the guard and the tackle and he was influencing the edge player you mentioned ed ingham ear holing the edge player jack did a fantastic job of so what you do is you try to you go at the edge player you get him to focus on you and then you've got to be athletic enough to be able to avoid him to go to your responsibility and once you do, here comes the guard. Yep. And the guard is going to ear hold the edge defender. And they did it time and time again. So the five offensive linemen, whoever was in, because there was a couple of guys that, that played at left tackle, Marlon Martinez at right guard, throw Jack Mashburn in there as well. Man, they're in sync. They're playing a different brand of football with their technique, with their physicality for sure, and just their assignments as well. I mean, it's – and, you know, I asked Coach O that this morning, like how much did the time they missed in training camp truly affect them? And he said, well, it's obviously. And, then, you know, he kind of mentioned, it's like, look, you and T-Bob know y'all, y'all played and know what you build chemistry-wise in fall camp. And you had a lot of guys that missed time. And so you're starting to see, you know, what this run game can be. I don't think this is an outliner because you've done it now against two defenses that were pretty good against the run in Kentucky and Florida. So everyone get your uh, bingo cards ready. Yards before contact. I know you know the, probably know it off the top of your head, but I'm just going to go week by week. Okay. UCLA, eight yards. McNeese, this that's is... T- L- that's total, Yes. by the way. That's not per attempt. <laughs> yards, rushing yards before contact, total for the game. And there will be one caveat here. UCLA, eight yards total before contact for LSU. McNeese State, 47 yards total before contact for LSU. Central Michigan, 13 yards before contact for LSU. Mississippi State... 13 yards before contact. Auburn, 18 yards before contact. Now you're seeing the turn here with Kentucky. Kentucky, 74 yards before contact. Nice. Florida, 157 yards before contact. So, super, uh, to sum that up, first five games, LSU had 99 yards total before contact in five games, 20 yards a game. The last two games, 231. I mean, you add in like some different, the sacks or whatever, and it's uh, negative six against Auburn. So, just to kind of tell you, where you were, and it's really been our stat of the year. Yep. Yards before contact, I yep. think is one we've mentioned. So the, that was the, the caveat, was the Auburn one. We had a negative six, and I checked recently, and PFFs updated it. I think what they may have done is the bad snap that went to Max Johnson well, that went that super, yeah, yeah. super, super negative. I think they basically factored that out, and they have a, a junk play category. So I think right. they went back and factored that out. So just gives a little context now. All that said, TDP forced 16 missed tackles against Florida. It's the most in the country for a player in Week 7. Five more than second place. Only two backs in the country have forced more missed tackles in a game. 152 yards after contact. So he got ahead of steam going behind an offensive line that was blocking. And for me, Jack Mashburn, there's a great story there. We'll probably tell it at some point. He was a walk-on. He was a quarterback in high school at St. Paul. Um, Not a big guy. If you look at his picture now, he's so kind of – Got his, he's got kind of a baby face and curly hair. Um, doesn't look like the most physically intimidating guy when you look at his headshot. What he can do that makes a difference for LSU is he can bend. 
He can bend and get down and leverage, and he can move. And it just opened up LSU's running game. The other thing that opened up LSU's running game was running six offensive linemen. I was critical of that earlier in the year. It absolutely worked. I can pull up the numbers while you're talking, but putting Dellinger in there is kind of a a pseudo tight end with Jack Mashburn, sort of a jumbo set for LSU. It worked. It, It allowed LSU to establish the run. I had been saying, nah, just protect with five and run like you did in 2019. This personnel just isn't suited for that. Yeah. They figured out what they're suited for and it's working. When you start to break down some of the run concepts that they had in the game, we've already talked about inside zone and just the improvement there. They ran a couple of outside zones that they had some success with. But if we're going to have this conversation, it's got to start and stop with the counter run. So they ran 14 counters. And I think anybody that that knows football knows that that's not a play that you run 14 times. I've only had this situation in my career one other time. We were playing at the New York Jets, and we found something on film that counter was going to be the run play, and we probably ran it about the same amount of times, and they could not make the adjustment to stop it. If you have pullers, and we did, we had Chris Dillman, who was an all-pro offensive lineman, that edge player, by the end of it, he's tired of hitting him. He's tired of getting hit by that pulling guard. And then if you have somebody else that can be that second puller that's able to read it and identify what that guard in front of you is doing, and I'm playing off his block, right? If he kicks it out, I'm underneath. If the if he logs the block, then I'm going around, and the running back's got to read that as well. Counter can be such a beautiful run play if it's done the right way because there's so many moving parts, and a lot of people are scared to run it offensively because of that. But also you have to know the defense has to – account for all those moving parts. And if they don't, you're going to hit gashers like LSU did. So to run counter 14 times for 182 <laughs> yards, every time they ran it, they averaged 13 yards. Oh, 13 yards per counter run. That, that I mean, yards after contact, 5.4. Uh, they ran it eight times on first down. They ran it for three touchdowns. I mean, missed tackles on that alone seven yep we could go on and on just about the 14 counters that they ran so i want to talk about that and what the effect is a couple weeks ago i said there are consequences when you can't run the football Mm. you there are consequences to not being able to establish the run consistently one of them is you get behind the chains um one of them is that the defense can play completely one-dimensionally we know you can't run it we're not going to honor the run. We're not going to honor blocks. We're not going to engage blocks. We're going to drop back in coverage, and we're going to rush as few or as many as we want to. We're going to dictate the terms. There are consequences, positive consequences, to being able to run the ball, and one of them is being able to play action. And I, I can't imagine how relieved Max Johnson must have felt every time he handed the ball off and turned around and saw Ty, Ty Davis Price running in there because he was like, Finally, the burden is off my shoulders. Max Johnson had to carry this offense for the first six games of the season. At times, he was very successful doing that. Against Mississippi State, he was great. And look, he's at 20 touchdowns and four interceptions right now. By any standard, that's good enough. That's championship play at quarterback. Now, at other times, when he's had to carry the offense, he struggled, as any sophomore quarterback would do. Right. he finally has gotten some support in the running game. And what LSU is able to do is make his life easier. So the play action pass was a huge part of what LSU did on Saturday against Florida. And I'm looking for the stats right here. Um, He was 11 of 13 in play action against Florida for 120 yards, three touchdowns. Now, when you look at it for the season, he's the highest rated quarterback in the country on play action 
146. They couldn't run for a majority of the season. 146.1 NFL passer rating and play action, best in the country. And that play action rate is still low. I think he's he's still in the bottom third nationally in how much play action they're doing. But now it's available, and he's really good at it. And so that that changes everything for him and for Jake Peets. Yeah. Um, that's the positive consequence of being able to run the football is that, look, I know the, the modern game is all about the devaluation of the running back and using the pass as an extension of using the pass as an extension. Well, no, we see now it's like it's valuable. You have to have it. You have to have it, especially at this level. LSU had it against Florida. I think they're going to have it against Ole Miss. That changes the entire dynamic for this offense. It opens up everything. Oh, without question it does because it was actually like when you go back and you watch the tape, like it was amazing that LSU was able to have the success that they were offensively in some of those games considering they were so one-dimensional. And now that you have a quarterback that really thrives in this play-action scheme and you have the real threat to be able to run the ball, like you can run – like. I think two weeks ago last week, whenever we were talking about it, like you could run like a power pass or a counter pass play action and it be what, like what you run. Like yep. that's something that you can without question do, right? Because you've run it so well. Now, if they weren't having success running the counter and you tried to do a play action pass off that action, the defense coordinator would laugh at you. Yeah. Right? They but, don't care. But now this this opens up different things. And so everybody, when they see that counteraction, they're going to see two two pullers. Man, they're going to just fly yep. up to the line of scrimmage. And it sets up easy throws for Max. And so when you have someone that thrives in a certain situation and you were doing it well when you couldn't do the other thing off of it, now you're doing the other thing not just well but extremely well. I expect Max to, to play his best version of football here down the stretch. Um, let's talk about LSU's defense and what we saw against Florida. When I when I went back and watched um, the tape on that, it felt like LSU's defense played better than the numbers. Certainly the turnovers helped with that. Um, I thought your corners were really, really good. Dwight McLaughlin had an excellent game. I know he got beat for the – I know he was involved on the Hail Mary and he got beat for a touchdown late, but he, you know the pick six, the PBUs, um, he graded out really, really high on, on pro football focus, and I thought that was deserved. He was um, – He's just he's a he's a playmaker on the edge and gives you a lot, um, and then Flot moving from you know whatever they've asked him to do this year he's been exceptional he was a complete blanket I think he got targeted twice gave up one completion for less than ten yards had the PBU yeah. that led to the Micah Baskerville pick you know to lose Stingley and to lose Ricks at corner two All Americans if you'd have told me that before the season I said yeah she's going to be in trouble not that the guys behind him aren't capable but right. you lose two All American corners. Like you're, you're. There's gonna be consequences for that, and they're just there. There weren't on Saturday. Those two guys were exceptional, locked up, made life easier on everyone else. And um, th- there's a lot to talk about with LSU's defense. Probably BJ Ojolari. We need to talk about him in a second yeah. too. Um, Neil Farrell played great. The linebackers have improved tremendously. Um, Sage Ryan made his debut and and, and passed right. the test. Um, but for me, it started with the the corner play. Well, it didn't start with the corner play. It started with the ability to stop the run. But then the game was forced to the corners, which concerned me. Darren Evans came in and played pretty well, too. That concerned me that, okay, now you're going to attack LSU's corners. I'm worried that they won't be able to stand up. But they 100% stood up. Yeah, and Cordell Flott's probably been the best player, I think, overall on, yeah, on the defense side for of sure, football. For I, think, sure. I think you can label him that. And he's done it at nickel. He's done it at safety. He's done it now at outside corner. And he has raised his level of play. 
and to be able to go to him whenever you're missing all of these weapons, I mean, not just weapons, I mean, you're missing all Americans out there on the edge, and I thought he played a fantastic game. Sage Ryan didn't blink whenever they asked him to go in there. Um, even the defensive backs kind of showing that they could cut a bad play loose because let's call it like it is. The Hail Mary at the end was a bad play. Yep. There's there's three guys right there, and all three of them were playing the wrong technique. Like, you can – you can pick on that play as much as you want. You can go into detail, but I think everybody understands um, that that was a poorly defended play. And Coach Corey Raymond was pretty uh, – He wasn't happy, uh, was he? Hmm, how, do, how do we put this? Uh, he was in Dwight's ear. We'll, yeah. just say, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Okay, and he challenged him. Like, he challenged him. Like, do you want to put that there, out there on tape? First play out, out of the half. Pick six. Pick six. Yep. So you get challenged, and – when you get challenged, you know this. Just like TDP got challenged because Corey Conner was was someone that a lot of people, hand up included, were asking like, "Look, I know it's not the running back's fault, but maybe you try something different because you know this guy's had more success creating on his own." Like we had that conversation. That's why we're not football coaches, right? We had that. We had that conversation. Okay, well he challenged Dwight, and first play out, pick six, and Corey Raymond went right over there. And he right, you you just challenge him, and he answers the challenge. You go tell him what uh, what he just did, and so um, it's two years in a row for me that those guys is kind of the same group has stepped yeah. up. Whenever everybody else has been sidelined because of injuries, that group who's been questioned a bunch steps up and plays a really good brand of football. Yeah. The other thing that I saw on film, and again, um, well, one thing that obviously stood out was B.J. Ojolari, and I. I I tweeted these. I guess I'll, I'll shout them out now. But he had – I think maybe y'all talked about it on the radio show this morning. He had nine tackles against Florida, nine pressures, five hurries, four stops, three quarterback hits, two tackles for loss, a sack, a PBU. Um, he's now f- fifth among power five, five defenders, second in the SEC in pressures with 30, sacks with six. He, he was dominant. They couldn't block him. They couldn't block Neil Farrell. He kept making plays in the backfield. So those two guys kind of solidified things for you in the trenches. I thought Glenn Logan obviously gave LSU a ton of good stuff. Mason Smith's rock solid in there. Um Another case of like you lose, you told me before the season, you lose Ali Gay and you lose Andre Anthony. Um, you're going to lose Joseph Evans. I'd have said, well, your defensive line's in trouble. I thought they did a pretty good job uh, on Saturday. Well, they did a great job stopping the run against the best running team in the, in the country, power five running team in the country, and made Florida go to the pass. Now, where LSU got exposed, what I'm concerned about against Ole Miss is they took the bait. They got beat with some, some play fakes, some... Um, some fake screen action to the to the to the boundary, and then the guy who was acting like he was going to block the receiver that was acting like he was going to block would at, release out into a route. And there were some young guys on defense for LSU who played well for the most part, yeah. but got tricked by some of that stuff. Led to big chunk plays for Florida, allowed Florida to get some momentum going. That's that's Ole Miss's mo, right? That's they're going to come. They're they're fifty fifty. I think they're like 50.9 pass, 49.1 run, or maybe that's flip, but basically 50-50. A ton of RPO, a ton of um, eye candy that they're going to try to distract you with. Like this this is an offense that's going to give you a lot of that kind of weird, different look um, that you're going to have to really, really be disciplined with your eyes. And for me, that's where LSU's defense has struggled recently is their eye discipline 
And I don't know that any offense tests your eye discipline more than Ole Miss. No, it's a great point. And I think Florida's right out there with Ole Miss, but certainly Ole Miss is going to do some things to try uh, some tomfoolery, if you will, right? Uh, and <laughs> Shenanigans. So, look, Florida and Dan Mullen's like the best in-game play caller maybe in this country. And there were some things that he saw, and they had success with them. LSU did a nice job of putting the pressure on Florida's offense because they kept scoring that they had to try to do it a different way and kind of took the ability to do some of those things away as well. But Ole Miss is going to try all the things that Florida had success with, like LSU knew Florida was going to throw a quarterback throwback, and they did. Yep. And Florida was able to pick up a first down. Now they minimized it. It wasn't a touchdown. It was just a first down. And Florida did have some success with some of those trick plays. All of those are going to be up for Ole Miss. Like, we know that. And they've got the bodies to do it. Don't forget, John Rush Plumley is a receiver on this team. Mm-hmm. Now, John Rush Plumley's only thrown one pass so far this year. But I'll bet you a dollar to a donut that he's going to be involved in some type of trick play this week. And it's a player that's very talented and things like that are going to pop up. They are going to test the integrity of an LSU defense that has some new guys playing in new positions. I think I saw they've run 18 trick plays this year, Ole Miss, which I didn't compare that to the rest of the country. That seems like a pretty pretty high number. Just a couple other notes that I, I took on Ole Miss's offense. And I, I've watched them a little bit more than I've watched other teams. Obviously, Matt Corral makes them go. He's going to play. Like, I'm just assuming he's going to play. I'm not even going to entertain the notion that he's not going to play. He's 6'2", 205 maybe. He plays like he's, to, to use, you know, what Coach O used to always say about Clyde, he plays like he's 6'4", 225. He yeah. just plays bigger than he is. He's physical. He knows the offense. Uh, LSU was able to expose him a little bit last year with some turnovers, but he's just so improved this year and comfortable in that scheme. Um, they're down a couple receivers. Against Tennessee, they struggled throwing the ball, so they really had to establish a run and run the ball. Um, oh, ran it what thirty times? Yeah, he was. I mean, he. I could pull up the stats, but that that they couldn't throw it. I think he's twenty one of thirty nine for the game, so they they weren't getting any consistency there. But then they just, you know, that that's the beauty of Ole Miss's offense is they can they can beat you a, a number of different ways. They can. I mean, they can outrun you. They can outthrow you. They can. They. You, you can't. You can't anticipate what's coming because they can do just about anything. Yeah, they might actually prefer to run the football to throwing yeah. it. And they've got they, they certainly did very on Saturday. talented running backs that can have big successful days against you if you allow it. So that's the challenge whenever you're playing this Ole Miss team is, okay, you know, what type of defensive scheme do we want to play? Like this isn't Mississippi State where you rush three and drop eight because they'll make you pay on the ground. And that's what makes them so dynamic is the fact that they have an elite – guy throwing the football that can beat you throwing any route and they also can turn around and hand it off to three very talented running backs and the quarterback himself can run they ran it 62 times against Tennessee I'm pulling up the box score right now which um they they, they were just struggling so much to to move it through the through the air Corral ran it 30 times for 195 Parrish ran it 10 for 41 so I mean Corral was the guy. Uh, Ely had 19 yards. Connor had 24. Like it was, it was all Corral, um, which is probably why he's feeling a little sore um, this Tuesday. Um, defensively, Ole Miss is not good. Um, they're I think 12th in the SEC in scoring offense. They, they, I don't know what they do well. You may, you may know better than me. Um, they've had, you know, they held Louisville to 24. They, they, um, but they gave up 50, 51 to Arkansas. They gave up 26 to Tennessee, which is probably their best performance of the season. Um, the one thing they will do is they will try to, similar to what they do on offense, trick you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I was just looking at the numbers, um, not looking at the film or personnel or anything. They they are 
first in power five and simulated pressures. 31.1% of their pressure is simulated pressure. So bringing four guys, but bringing them from different spots. And that concerns me. Yeah. As much as LSU's offensive line has improved, um, that's a different test. You know, counter against a Florida 3-4 that's fairly static, pretty pretty simple, right? You right. Just, just get out there and block. And not, not simple, but when you start bringing pressure from different spots, showing one thing, bringing something else, that's where, again, just like LSU's high discipline on defense has to be really good. Their, their discipline offensively, their scheme, um, excuse me, their protection checks. Max has got to be on the same page. The O-line's got to be on the same page. Um, that's, a, that's a different test altogether. But the good thing is LSU can run the ball now. Yeah. I don't think Ole Miss is going to be able to stop the run. And so that gives you some freedom to, again, play action and do some things that work for you offensively. Yeah, so teams that, that bring different guys from different areas and, and the things that you're talking about are usually a defense that knows a lot of the times they're overmatched personnel-wise. And they're trying to create this this havoc. They're trying to create a situation where it's not just my guy versus your guy. We're trying to see if we can catch you with a missed assignment. And that's what they're going to do. Um, when you start to break down where they're bringing different guys, they will, they will, like you said, they'll bring them kind of from, from everywhere. And it's still a defense that has its issues. Is it better than a year ago? It is, but they still have issues uh, with missed tackles. They still have issues with busted coverages. And when you look at kind of their coverage breakdown, like I was looking at the Tennessee game, like they ran cover three, 49.4% of the time they ran, um, let's see, cover Cover two twenty two point nine percent of the time. That's a little bit different than what they were doing last year. Last year they ran a lot of quarters. They they only ran that against Tennessee five of the snaps, so six percent of the time. So they're kind of changing up what they're doing coverage wise. They're being a little bit more aggressive, I think, because they understand they have to. They don't have the personnel to call quarters coverage and just sit back and try to play coverage and and get the pressure with the four down linemen. So I would expect a, a exotic game plan. From DJ Durkin, that just feels like what they're going to do is what they've done all season long to this point. So expect it to be a situation where if you play that style of defense, and you know this, Cody, and you handle it and you pick it up, there's going to be gaps. There's going to be holes because the defense is losing their integrity to try to create that bad play for the offense. Yeah, and just looking at some of the numbers, um, last three games they've given up 210 yards rushing to Alabama. 350 yards rushing to Arkansas, 222 to Tennessee. So, again, LSU's game plan in this one has got to be to establish the run. I'll be curious to see what Ole Miss can try to throw at uh, at LSU to try to slow slow that thing down a little bit uh, if they can. A guy that stands out to me is Mark Robinson for Ole Miss. Looking at his stats from Tennessee, they're actually kind of ridiculous. 15 tackles, uh, two sacks, five tackles for loss. A guy that can do some some productive things for him. This is probably going to be a shootout. It's probably <laughs> going to be a game that's defined by mistakes. Yeah. You know, the, actually, the LSU-Florida game this past weekend reminded me of LSU-Ole Miss last year because Ole Miss was able to move the ball, was able to score a bunch of points, but they kept turning it over and giving LSU opportunities, and LSU capitalized on them. Um, same thing happened with Florida. I don't know that Corral is going to do that. He he did that last year. He's not been turnover-prone this year. Right. He's... Um, I don't think he's going to give you anything. And so LSU, that means LSU's offense is going to have to be really, really sharp. You're going to have to extend drives, long drives. Um, I'll, I'll say this. Give LSU's offense credit. The play clock issues have not been there. Yeah, They've cleaned that up. They've improved a lot. It's credit to Jake Peets and his staff um, that they've been able to, to make those improvements. This is going to be a big test in terms of 
control the ball a little bit, give your defense a chance, uh, win field position battles. And then I think for LSU's defense, it's going to be about negative plays. Can you, can you force turnovers? Can you get sacks? Can you get a strip sack? And then one thing that hasn't been a factor in recent games for LSU, and we haven't talked much about it, special teams. Special teams could be a big one in this. And it's been up and down for LSU in the special teams this year um, in a number of different areas, whether it's been a return game, whether it's been defending punts and covering punts, whether it's yeah. been the actual distance on punts. Cade York obviously has been a stud, hadn't been needed recently. Um, could be a game for him. So to me, this is going to be a, a game of margins and the team that wins a turnover battle and you know, makes the fewest mistakes, has the fewest negative plays. I, I think that's the team that's going to win. Yeah, and one of the things controversial take he says <laughs> the team that turns it over less is going to win. But I, I think it's one of those yeah. games. I don't. I don't think it's going to be a Kentucky game. I don't think it's going to be yeah. a Mississippi State game where one team is dictating to the other yeah. the whole game. I think that's what it's going to boil down to. I think one of the things that is, should be exciting if you're an LSU fan because this game, if you asked me three weeks ago, would have terrified me. And the fact that you would have given Ole Miss's offense more opportunities because you weren't running the football so the clock will stop much more. Like time of possession for LSU is a key stat in this game because if they have the time of possession, you're doing a couple of things. You've got the ball in your hands and you're also taking it out of Matt Corral's hands. So if this is a game where you've got like 37, 38, 39 minutes of time of possession, that feels like a stat that could tell you how this game's going to go. LSU is going to be able to run the football against Ole Miss. That's just my belief. Watching what LSU's done and seeing the personnel that Ole Miss has right now and kind of the brand that they're playing, you're going to be able to run the football. Can LSU make the plays when given the opportunity when they take their shot? I don't think many games you're going to have the opportunity to just run at every play except one in the fourth quarter like you did last week. Yep. Like that, that, that's a very unique situation. But you're going to be able to do it. Now, can you take advantage in the play-action pass, which Max has done so well. We've talked about that already. And can you hit the shot? You're going to have a shot. Your receivers are going to get behind Ole Miss's defensive backs a couple times in this game. Can you complete that pass whenever you get that opportunity? Uh, missed tackles in the SEC. Ole Miss has the most with 102. LSU, the third fewest with 63. Hadn't been an issue for LSU this year. It could it could come down to as simple as that. Remember, remember two years ago in Oxford when John Rice Pumley just ran forever and LSU missed tackles and gap defense was poor. Uh, yeah, that played in my head for like six weeks after that. It, this could be a game where the team that tackles best and holds on to the football best ends up winning this one. Um, that feels like what it could come down to. I don't think it'll be a low scoring game. No. Um, I don't think it's. I don't know what the over under is. I wouldn't take the under. Um, but it, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be a shootout probably. And weirdly enough, I feel comfortable about LSU being in that situation right now. No, you do. And I'm curious to see what defensive alignment LSU really has as their base in this game, because of their ability to be to, to run the football. You know, what personnel do you want out there? Who's going to play in? Uh, who plays defensive tackle? How many linebackers do you have out there? Um, you know, who do you have at the nickel? Like all those type of things. Um, I think there's some performances last week that, that get you excited, like to see a Sage Ryan in there. I think he's yep. somebody that can definitely be very beneficial in a game like this with his ability to not only cover but to stop the run. He's a physical safety. So I'm very curious to personnel. I'm curious, uh, you know, kind of the scheme that they roll with against Ole Miss because you have to be careful. You can't worry about one or the other because they're so effective doing both. Let's, let's finish our segment before we throw it to you and TDP by talking about that personnel. Both sides of the ball, 
personnel questions that interest you. For me on offense, the role of Jack Besh really interests me because with the emergence of Jack Mashburn in the running game, he basically didn't play when when I don't I don't know how much they were on the field together. Right. Um, I'm curious if there's a role for Jack Besh outside of that that um, that sort of hybrid tight end spot that he's played as sort of a I don't know what would you call him. He's not a he's he's kind of a F. He's a true he's, F. Okay, I think he's a true F. Like and, and Jack and, is like a an H back. Yeah, I think he's a mixture of a Y and an F. And Jack Bash is a true F. So, do you think those two guys can play together? Do you think they will play together? Do you think there's a role, or do you think it continues to be a lot of Jack Mashburn? Maybe Besh comes in in third downs and passing yeah. situations, um, and then Jeray's holding down one receiver spot. Dre had a great game, obviously. You've got Malik Neighbors in there rotating at receiver. How how do you see that kind of personnel? battle flushing out yeah i don't know if you switch things up like jack was at tight end because it was a necessity it was some somewhere yeah yeah Sorry. it's okay jack. we've got a couple jacks it's gonna, yeah. it's gonna be very confusing uh jack besh was somebody you needed at a necessity to kind of play that position i thought he did it well but now you can kind of transition him to more of a receiver role and he has definitely proven he can handle a starting receiving role as well so you start to look at body types and you know is this guy an outside receiver is he a slot and I think you can be very creative with Jenkins Brian Thomas neighbors uh Trey Palmer and Jack Besh and they're probably the group that's going to get the most run I think you can kind of transition Jack now from Jack Besh <laughs> get there from what he was as like a true f into more of a slot receiver which is still basically an f in most offenses so and two you can still be creative with him yep like knowing he has that in in his history like he can go down there and you can motion him in and he can cut off uh, the backside uh, of a zone run. So be creative with him, but definitely don't cha- uh, take Besh off the field just because Jack Mashburn has emerged. I think there's a place for both of them to be on the field together. How about the other side of the football? Any You, you touched on him there in, in your previous discussion, but any personnel questions there that you're you're keeping an eye on? I don't know who's expected back for LSU, but Sage Ryan obviously is going to have a role to play in this game. I think his eye discipline has to be exceptional in this one. I think the safety spot you're still looking at and just hoping those guys um, maximize their performances because Ole Miss will test the safety time and time and time and time again. Any personnel issues you're keeping an eye on for, for this one on defense? Yeah, I mean, I think Glenn Logan coming back has been huge for LSU because now you have Logan, you have Neil Farrell, and you have Jaqueline Roy. And Jaqueline might be one of the most undervalued players in the country at his position, not in the SEC, not in his class, but in the country at his position. He is graded out as a top five player. And we just – we haven't – and this is like every show, not just this podcast or anything. Like, that's something that we haven't talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. He has been so good this year. I mean, we can go back in the pressure on the last interception. I mean, he was all over the place against Florida. So, you have that three-man rotation now and tackle, and it allows you to put B.J. and Mason Smith on the edges to be your defensive ends. I thought Cherry came in with a nice rush. Yep. So, you've got Sony some played guys. Well too, yep. Yeah, Sony, Sony played a lot of the game. You had the opportunity to kind of rotate some guys in and out of there but I would expect it to be a heavy heavy rotation at the defensive tackle position knowing that you've had some guys step up um you know what happens at free safety you know do you keep Cam Lewis there is is Cam play any nickel if 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 Sage for some reason his eye discipline is not what you talked about you know who comes in at the free safety position if Cam has to move to the nickel for some some play so 
I think it all depends. You have your group where you roll Sage out there at the nickel, Dwight, Cordell at the corner, Jay and, and Cam at the safety positions. But knowing that depending on how they're they're playing the game all offensively for Ole Miss, like, you know, does Jordan Tolls come in if you want a bigger body? So it's really what Ole Miss tries to do, I think, at the beginning of the game. One guy we know is going to play in this game is Ty Davis Price. So let's do this. Let's take one last break, and then we'll come back on the other side. You and him are going to be in the film room presented by Community Coffee, and uh, y'all are going to break down his historic performance against Florida and maybe see what can carry over to Ole Miss this weekend. So um, let's throw it over to that part of the conversation right after this. Hey, Tiger fans, welcome back into the LSU Film Room, brought to you by Community Coffee. As you can tell, we've got the record setter, Ty Davis-Price, with us. 36 carries, 287 yards, three touchdowns. I would assume that might be, Ty, the most carries you've ever gotten a game, 36. That's like video game numbers. Nah, that, yeah, for real. Um, I didn't realize I had that many carries to after the game, really. Um, I knew it was like up there, but I didn't know it was that many. So what's it like for you? Okay, so everybody talks about the rushing attack for LSU. It was slow to kind of get started this year. Over the last couple of games, really, you all have done a really nice job of being physical, running the football. Could you kind of tell that that was going to change? Is there something you could see in practice or maybe even within the scheme that, okay, we can have more success if we do A, B, or C? Yes, sir. Um, we kind of like – we tried at like the beginning of the year to try to commit to it, but I think we um, – we kind of abandoned it for a little bit, but we came back and um, at practice, like O line, like they did tremendous, bro. Um, just like I saw it, I saw it like coming together, like you say that week of Kentucky, that Kentucky yeah. week, and um, since then they've been playing lights out. Well, you kind of changed some of the scheme, and you know when you look at what LSU's done over the last couple of weeks, you've had some really nice runs with the gap scheme. But it wasn't just gap scheme in this game against Florida. Now y'all ran some inside zones that were very successful as well. But y'all have definitely found something with the counter run. I think it's been something where the guards and the tackles have done a really nice job pulling. And a guy that we talked about before we started to record, Jack Mashburn, the tight end, has played a big part as well. Yeah, he stepped up in a big way, man. Um, like I remember, like Coach Pete's. He asked me who I wanted like to go in, and I told him him because like that guy like ever since I've been to LSU, just seeing him like not actually like really knowing him all the way, but like just like seeing his work ethic, you know. Um, and it doesn't matter scholarship, walk on like like Coach o always says like when you can step on that field, you're a tiger, yeah. and that's real. All right, let's go ahead and get into some of these plays now. Like I mentioned, three touchdowns. We got all those touchdowns coming. We got a couple more plays sprinkled in here, but this is. This is one where you have to answer back, right? Florida goes down, they take the ball, they put it in the end zone, and so you're down six to nothing after they missed the extra point. Kind of walk us through what you saw here because the thing that I appreciate, right, and we talked about the counter runs, is just how patient you've been. On a counter, you've got to be patient because you've got two pullers, you have someone that's trying to affect the edge as they lead onto the second level, and so you can't just run in there as fast as you can. You're going to end up in somebody's back, but you're patient enough to be able to cut off Cam's block here. Yeah, so what, like I say, it always starts in practice, you know, like it really is just like getting a feel for it, getting a feel for those, for your blockers, exactly how fast they're going to be pulling so you'll know. Um, like, Ed, look at Ed. Like, bro. Bro, let me see. Ed, Ed played angry this game. He did. And I remember, like, this drive, um, like, the line, like, we made it. We made a statement that we were going to st- score on this play. Right. Um, and I remember, bro, like, it was like, I'm like, okay, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a real good day. 
I mean, so you can tell here as we pause it, like everybody's doing their job. I mean, hat on okay, hat. so you got a hat on a hat. You're exactly right. And a counter run, you're going to as a running back, and you're you know you're going to play off the technique of the offensive line. So this guy's on the outside. This guy's trying to send it back here. This guy's trying to send it back here. But right here, right, you've got 76 doing his job. So there's multiple things that you can do here as a running back. I mean, you're seeing exactly what's going on, and Dekos does a nice job of walling it off because if they're going to try to send it back inside, but Dekos walls it off, then you know exactly where you have to go. Now you have to be patient to get there, but it's a really nice job of, all right, you want to send it back inside? That's fine because Dekulis is going to do his job and give you that wall. We worked on that at practice. I remember like Coach Peach, like just like the wall scheme, like just setting the wall, like how Austin is doing right there. I remember us going over that in particular. And um, after that, just like, they were just like, bro, we're going to do this the whole game. And uh, I'm like, I'm with it, man. I'm ready. And um, bro, we gonna keep that up, like for real. Uh, and you did keep it up. You were encountered 14 times in the ball game. That was only one of them. Let's go ahead. Why not? Let's get to another counter run. This time you're coming the opposite way. That was the thing to me, just watching from the sideline. That was really impressive. It was to the left. It was to the right. It, it didn't really matter. Everybody understood the assignment. They did their job. The pullers pulled. The guy who was supposed to lead Jack Mashburn did what he was supposed to do, did a really nice job of influencing the end guy on the line of scrimmage for the guards to be able to clean them up, right? You take their t attention long enough. And so it didn't really matter which way you got to the counter. It was effective both ways and for multiple looks. Yeah, for real. Um, it was crazy it's because, like, they knew exactly what we were going to run. Like, I know for a fact they knew exactly what we were going to run. Like, just looking at the – I was looking at seven, number seven – Number 11, the linebackers, and, like, they just knew. They just couldn't stop it. They just couldn't stop it because, like, we kept calling the same play over and over and over. And uh, I'm like, we're going to just keep running until they stop it. There's not a better feeling in football. There's truly not. So, and Jack Mashburn right here is letting number zero know exactly. Like, y'all knew that was coming, and you couldn't stop it, if you can tell right here at the end of the play. But as an offensive football player and certainly as a running back, when the team knows what you're going to run, and you, you mentioned it, they, they probably were even trying to call it out, and you know, they know, everybody in the stadium knows, because I think we all knew. I mean, all of us in this room were at the game. We knew what was going to be the play call, and they couldn't do anything about it, and they couldn't even slow it down. Like Not only, not only could they not like stop it for big yardage, they couldn't stop it for touchdowns. That's the best ball play in football is when they know and they can't do anything about it. Yeah, like you say, like it's just like taking someone's will. That's how that's how you feel because like you know I'm about to dominate you on this play. We're running the whole game and like you still can't stop it. So, but like they blocked the will, man. As you can see, like I, I just did my job. They did their job and we scored. All right, so we talked about it from the other side, right? When it was going to the right side, we talked about the pullers getting their job done, playing it the right way, and they do it here. But again, Cam Wire does what Deculus did on the other side. He creates that wall. He helps Ed long enough for the linebacker who's scraping over to kind of come off. And so you tandem block to that linebacker. And again, you create that wall. You're off to the races. Yeah, man. Um, Cam, he he stepped up big too. Um, like he he's been hurt, but he's been in practice. He's been busting his tail too. Yeah. Him and AB, they've been competing for their spot, and they both they both been playing lights out. All right, so this isn't a touchdown, but I think it was my favorite play of the game, and I was actually standing in the north end zone when this happened. So I'm standing in the north end zone, so I can kind of see your eyes, and as we let this one play through. All right, look, it's another counter run. Surprise, surprise, right? Again, 
Big Ed Ingram playing angry, pushes the edge defender completely out of the way. You get a nice wall. Here comes AB through, gets just enough. Jack Mashman does a great job of not holding, right? The player disengages. He lets go. You make that guy miss after he is engaged, but this is the best part. And we're going to go ahead and slow-mo this part because sometimes you look for green grass and sometimes you look for contact and you wanted all the contact. I saw your eyes from the end zone. You searched out this defensive back. You found him and your legs never stopped. Yeah, man, I remember like just like staying patient back there, like on that on that play. I didn't know exactly how it was going to unfold, but I knew that like if I stayed patient back there, that I was gonna find a way through and um, find a seam. And I saw number sixteen, and um, he he didn't look like he wanted to hit me, so I just brung it to him, um, initiated contact, and after that, I just was like, okay, keep feet. Well, it's something as a running back that you can definitely tell. Like when you're out in the open, you can tell who wants contact, who doesn't, who's trying to stop you in a different way than being, you know, a downhill guy. And also, like you, you're mentioning, a lot of people don't realize, like when you're playing running back and you're getting 36 carries and, and the team's really starting to lean on you, that's a situation where you can really thrive and you can gain momentum and you can gain confidence and you can, you know, start to play even more physical than you even thought possible because, you know, everybody's counting on you. Everybody wants you to be this type of running back as well. Yes, sir. And like you say, like just like the more you play in like the game, the more comfortable you're going to get, and you're going to start feeling the game and like just start seeing different things that you might not see if you're getting five, yep. six carries. You know, um, and like you say, I, I felt comfortable out there, and um, I just put the team on my back. Well, there's also there's a moment whenever you're carrying the ball like this too that you realize, okay, they're tired of, of hitting number three. Right, they're they're tired of tackling me, so they're gonna kind of change the way they've played throughout the game, and they're gonna kind of change a lot of their technique too as well. Like that's something as a running back you can definitely feel. Right, they um a, a lot of their players I feel like they 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 gave up. Um, I, I just were tired. They didn't want to like tackle anymore. Um, as you can see right there, like like I say, number sixteen. Like I saw it in his eyes. He didn't want to hit. So I just came and I brung it to him. That's a great way to finish a run. And uh, I mean, I think this copy is actually even my favorite. You get to see exactly look the like safety rotations know. and everything. Now, man, you, you you look like you wanted all the contact. And as, as we've talked plenty of times before, that's my favorite brand of football. So that might have been my favorite play. But um, this one was definitely the most important play in the game because this is the one that closed the door in my opinion, right? Because you knew you had to go score. You knew what kind of time was left. You know their offense was kind of getting a groove on the other side as well. And you finished the game right here. Surprise, surprise, counter run. As you can see, bro, they, they blocked it perfectly. Like all I did really was just run. Like look at, look at those gaps. So this one, okay, so we talked about Jack Mashburn kind of influencing the edge line, uh, uh, the edge defender right here on the line of scrimmage, right? And, okay, well, now, number one, he, he realizes, okay, that, that's not going to be something I need to worry about. He's just there. He's going up to the second level. So he just kind of – he comes. He comes downhill, and he's trying to affect the counter run. This is so good from Ed Ingram to be able to pull out, get downhill this fast, and not only hit number one, but move number one out of the way. So you're exactly right. And then, again, all right, Deculus does just enough to let you run by, and then here comes big A.B., I mean, he's coming through with bad intentions, does enough, finishes the block. He big. 
<laughs> Look, our guy Jack Mashburn. Hey, let's don't forget about Devontae out here either. Yeah, doing man. Exactly I'm not gonna. I'm to not do. gonna even lie. They the, those receivers. They helped him out a lot. They they block. They block really well. They did their part. It's hard to hit the explosive runs, and LSU had plenty of explosive runs in this game if the receivers don't do what they're supposed to do on the edge, right? You can get five, six, seven-yard gains, but if you want to get those 10, 15, 20-yard runs, receivers have to do what Devontae's doing right here. Yeah, so he works hard. I can tell that. I can tell uh, whenever he has success catching the football, it's one of those deals where, like, the whole team celebrates it with Because he, he really works hard, yeah. man. I'm not going to lie. He deserves it. Everything comes his way. All right, this is one of the 14 counters, man. Again, this is the one to finish the game. It's uh, beautiful to watch it play out. Ed, this guy's not playing sound football because, okay, I've seen this before. He's just coming right now. Jack does a nice job of not spending too much time on him, knowing what he's trying to do, and I've got to get to the second level here. Ed's on his horse. Deck does just enough, and then here comes A.B. I mean, everything you want in offensive football, Martinez does a hell of a job. Walling that off as well. I mean, this is just look. This is a clinic tape. Looks like the Great Wall of China. That's what it is. I mean, it is a clinic tape on how to run a counter, and you did it 14 times again. I know we've harped on that, but to be able to run that play so many times, to have 182 yards on those counter runs, knowing they knew what was coming, and if you block it the right way, and you continue uh, to win your individual battles, this type of stuff will happen. Yes, sir. <laughs> Hopefully we can keep running those counters. I think we're going to keep running them. All right. So before we get out of here, we mentioned 287 yards. That's an LSU single game record. We mentioned the three touchdowns, 152 yards after contact. Love that stat. 16 missed tackles. But 287 yards. As we sit in the running back room, we got Billy Cannon. We got Jimmy Taylor, NFL Hall of Famer. We've got the GOAT, Kevin Falk. Charles Alexander, Leonard Fournette, Jerry Stovall, Clyde Edwards, Elair. This is a room. This is a room where if you get your picture on the wall in this room, that means something, and you now have the record for single-game rushing yards in LSU history, something that nobody on this wall was able to do. What's that mean to you? Being from Baton Rouge, and I would assume – Watching, you know, some of these guys, obviously, Leonard and, and even being a teammate of Clyde's and him being a first-round pick, what's that mean to you? I mean, it's it's something else, man. Like, just, like, to know, like you say, those guys, like, because that was a hard record. Like, that's a, that's a high number, man. I'm not going to lie. That's a high record. And um, I just thank God for it, you know, because, like, I never, like, I mean, as a recruit, I always wanted to come here and break all the records, you know. Yeah. Um, but like, I always just pray to God about just, like, playing my best game, keeping me healthy. That's all I ask God for, and I'm going to take care of the rest. And he did that, man. That was all him, man. That was all him. All right, so maybe this is uh, some of my bias coming through, but what does it mean to do it against a team like Florida? You didn't do it like in a non-conference game. You didn't do it against a directional school. You did it against the Florida Gators, a ranked Florida Gator team that came into Tiger Stadium. Does it is it even maybe even more special? And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Obviously, like the Florida Gators is a team that I've talked about a lot, but is that something that makes it even more special? Well, as you said, yeah, I would say it because, like, People always say I played good against Florida. And right. um, I remember my first year when I had made a big test down against Florida, and that was something else, you know. And um, just to say that I did that um, this past Saturday, 
it it was something that I always dreamed of, just like the team needing you and you they, like they need you. So like, what you gonna do? And um, are you gonna answer the bill or what? And the line helped me out, but I did. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right, there he is, record setter, 36 carries, 287 yards, three touchdowns, but 152 yards after contact might be my favorite stat. Ty Davis Price has been a lot of fun breaking down the counter runs and the touchdown runs with you. Best of luck this week against Ole Miss. Yes, sir. Go Tigers. Tigers. We fight to hold the glory of the purple and gold. Come on, you Tigers. I said fight, fight, fight. Uh, welcome, everyone, and thank you for being here on a Sunday. Uh, before we talk business, I want to take a moment and, and make some personal remarks uh, because this is real personal to me. This is a bittersweet day, and the reason I say bittersweet is, is that the sweet part is I came here, and uh, yesterday we had a hell of a game. And the thing about it is Coach Ogeron has beat the Gators three times in a row, and that's all three years I've been here, Ed, and that's something I'm proud of. But uh, I want you guys to know Ed Ogeron's a friend. We're both Louisiana guys through and through. We both deeply care about this football program, and I will always be grateful for Coach Ogeron for leading the Tigers to the greatest season in the history of college football. With that said, the job requires us to set personal feelings aside and make decisions that are ultimately best for LSU. Since my first day back at LSU in 2019, Coach O and I have maintained an open and consistent dialogue about the state of LSU football. At LSU, we expect to compete for SEC and national championships year in and year out. We are proud of that standard and will always work to uphold it. Our last two seasons have simply not met that standard. When we evaluated our on-field results and the future of our program with President Tate, we determined that it is time for us to move in a new direction. That was LSU's decision, but it is one Coach O understands. It's clear in our conversations he wants to, what's best for LSU above all else. We've asked him, and he has agreed, to remain as head coach through the end of the 2021 season. We believe that gives our student-athletes the best chance for success this season. We believe it will help us in our recruiting efforts as well. And I know Coach O will continue to give everything he has because that's who he is and that's what he's always done for our state and for our university. His passion and pride for our football team and for our state are unrivaled and undeniable. The search for LSU's next championship football coach begins today. <laughs> 